Welcome again to Longmont Church of the Nazarene Online. Uh, Before I share the message with you, I have a couple of things I want to to let you know about. First of all, we are beginning to worship again together um, on Sunday mornings. Uh, We will be meeting in the church parking lot at 9.30 in the morning, just basically uh, for the purpose of avoiding the heat a little later in the day. We will limit our church service to one hour. And if you would like to join us, I would encourage you again at 9.30 to bring a lawn chair, a water bottle. Um, If you're concerned about the sun or needing shade, you might think about bringing an umbrella and masks would be highly recommended. We will have masks for those who may not have one of their own or forget to bring one. We'll have hand sanitizer available, and we would encourage you to come and join us on Sunday morning in the parking lot at the Longmont Church of the Nazarene. Uh, As we uh, begin again today, and we're looking at the life and ministry of Elijah, in fact, this will be our last message um, in this series, and to let you know our our text today is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18, if you want to find that in your Bibles. But before we begin, um, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we are grateful for your compassion, for your patience, for your mercy, for your grace, that we can trust in you as sovereign God, even in the tumultuous world that we live in, especially with all that we see going on with the pandemic and the economy and political division and the protests and some of them violent that have been taking place in the streets of some of our cities. Lord God, we know that ultimately the only way that many of these issues will be settled And that we'll know peace as if people in their hearts know the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And I pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ that we would demonstrate his love and compassion, kindness, understanding in these days. Lord, we would be bold and courageous to share the good news of the gospel and people that demonstrate our love for others just in the way we live and the things we say and the way we reach out and meet the needs of people. I thank you again, Father, for the Holy Scriptures, the truth of your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts again today. There are things that we can pull out of this story of Elijah that we can apply to our lives. And I pray that as your Holy Spirit speaks to us, that we would hear you and we would apply those things to our lives. We would be obedient. We thank you, Father, that things are moving along so that we can gather again as a people to worship you together. Father, I know that personally I'm looking forward to that. I know many of our people are. And and I pray, Father, that um, as 
things change and we're trusting the Father in a positive way, especially as regarding COVID-19, that one of these days we'll be able to move from the parking lot back into the church building and begin to expand our ministry offerings to, to Sunday school and small groups and all those things that have been part of the life of the church previously. But in the meantime, help us to be grateful and joyful and obedient and faithful as servants of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his strong name. Amen. Well, I want to begin by sharing uh, the passage of Scripture that is our text today. Again, from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Um, We have just come from Mount Carmel, where this miraculous thing happened um, in the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, where they were going to call upon Baal to bring down fire and consume the sacrifice. The prophets of Baal had all day long to do that, to no avail. As the time for the evening sacrifice came, Elijah prepared his sacrifice. He built a stone altar, he put the wood on it, cut up the bull, put that on it, dug a trench around it, poured water over it till it filled the trench, prayed a simple prayer to God, Fire came down, consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the water. This is incredible victory. The, the prophets of Baal were taken down into the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And then Elijah returns to the mountaintop, prays for rain. Seven times he prevailed in prayer, but soon there was seen in the distance of the Mediterranean Sea a cloud as his servant said, as small as a man's hand. And that cloud became a storm that brought rain to the land once again. So we've just come from that. And we've been in chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, speaking of the prophets of Baal. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. 
the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your servants to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel, over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Well, we've all, all experienced it. Things are rolling along pretty smoothly. There are no storm clouds in our sky. We're able to relax a little. Life is good. Then something happens. A medical emergency, a financial setback, a relational blow-up, and you go from cloud nine to blue, blue, my world is blue. Can you relate? That's where Elijah found himself. He's just come from this miraculous spiritual victory over the prophets of Baal. The people have reaffirmed their allegiance to God. The land is experiencing refreshing, life-giving rain after three years of drought. Everything seems to be moving in the right direction. But then Jezebel puts a hit out on Elijah, and he runs for his life. There's this sudden turnaround from boldness to fear. Bright mountaintop to dark valley. Oh yeah to oh no. After his greatest victory, he was discouraged, depressed, and defeated. Jezebel threatens to end his life. Elijah is afraid and runs. He doesn't pray about it. He doesn't reflect on the amazing power of God and the display of that power that he has just witnessed on Mount Carmel. He doesn't pause to remember how God protected and provided for him through three years of drought. So, Elijah's human after all. We may not have thought that. I mean, here's the man who said there's going to be a drought for three years and it happened. Here's the man who called down fire from heaven on the sacrifice and it happened. Here's the man who ran ahead of Ahab's um, chariot to Jezreel, 16 miles. Oh, but Elijah's human after all. 
He was susceptible to the same pressures and fears that we are. He wasn't on top of it all the time. Sometimes his faith faltered. And so what the writer of the book of James in chapter 5 verse 17 says is true. Elijah was as human as we are. And we see it in this instance. And like Elijah, when circumstances take a negative turn, we may have this urge to run. I can't face this. I can't deal with this now. I need to distance myself. I just want to run away. And sometimes that may seem like the best or only option. And sometimes we do run, but we run in different ways. Some literally, physically run, just as Elijah did. Oh, we need to move. We need a new location. We, I need a new job. We need to find a new church. I need, to, I need a different ministry. We run. My, my father did that after my mother died. He sold his house and went to Florida for a year. That's where he was raised and where most of his family lived. And I guess it seemed to him like the safest place for him to, to heal. Some run away emotionally. We distance ourselves from others, very often those closest to us. We, we become what people call closed off. We avoid people so that we won't have to deal with it, whatever it is. Sometimes we run spiritually. We, we run away from God when we should be running to Him. But we distance ourselves or attempt to distance ourselves because we're thinking, God, why me? Or, God, how could you let this happen? Or, if that's how you're going to treat me, forget it. So we run from God. Well, actually, you can't do that. Look at the story of Jonah. He tried and it didn't work. God put him in a situation where he chose to run back to God. See, sitting in the stomach of a big fish can be motivational that way. But we still try. And our running looks and sounds like this. God, I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't want to think about you. I don't want to read about you. I don't want to hear anyone else talk about you. We try to run from God. And I'm not sure that Elijah was running away emotionally and spiritually, but I do know that he wanted to put some physical distance between himself and Jezebel. He was running out of fear. And our text tells us that Elijah first flees to Beersheba, he leaves his servants there, and it says he goes on alone, a, a day's journey into the desert. Alone. He's, he's all alone. He's left alone with his thoughts. No one to counter negative thinking, to give him perspective on the situation. No one to talk about the fears that he's feeling. No one there just to listen and offer Encouragement alone. Probably not a good idea. 
And despite the urge, we may feel sometimes to separate ourselves from others when life gets hard. Usually it's a bad idea. Now, we've got reasons for justifying alone. We say things like, well, no one wants to be around me when I'm like this, or people aren't interested in my problems, or, well, there's nothing that they can do about it anyway. The problem with choosing to be alone is after a while you begin to feel alone. And so you say things like, well, I guess no one cares, or, well, no one understands, or it's me against the world. You know, there's not a place in Scripture where God encourages us to be hermits or lone rangers. You know, we hear things said in our culture like, well, just buck up, or pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, or people say, well, I I don't need anybody else's help. But you know what? That kind of thinking is not in the Scripture. In fact, the opposite is in the Scripture. So let me give you a little example. Remember the song on the Jericho Road? Now, I hope this isn't your favorite because I'm going to pick on it a little bit. It's On the Jericho Road, there's room for just two. Nice lyrics, but in there, there's some questionable theology. So this is what it says, the first verse. As you travel along on the Jericho Road, does the world seem all wrong and heavy your load? Just bring it to Christ. Your sins all confess on the Jericho Road. Your heart he will bless. Great. I would agree. The chorus. On the Jericho Road, there's room for just two, no more and no less than Jesus and you. That's where I begin to have a problem. Each burden he'll bear, each sorrow he'll share, yes. There's never a care for Jesus is there. Well, I guess if we were good at giving our worries and cares to him, that would be true. But we're not always as good at that as we should be. But again, the, the part of that song that I take issue with is on the Jericho Road, there's room for just two, no more and no less than Jesus and you. Now... I understand that your relationship with Jesus is unique, it's personal, and and that the decision to accept him as Savior is one that each of us, on our own, alone, should make. But in the New Testament, it is not Jesus and me, it is Jesus and we. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. And that's no more important than when we are facing the hard stuff of life that comes our way. Read through the writings of Paul and the epistles, and you'll find over and over again an emphasis on each other and one another. That's one of the reasons the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, many of you who are part of this church and who are used to coming together kind of feel this one right now, don't you? 
We've missed being together. Maybe some of us have had that alone feeling that Elijah experienced. We kind of felt like we've been out in the desert for a while. You know, there's, there's something to be found in meeting together as God's people that can't be found anywhere else. And, and the writer says uh, of Hebrews says that one of the reasons we come together is for this mutual encouragement that we can experience as we come together with one another. And he says, and it's, it becomes all the more important as you see the day approaching. Well, I can tell you there are a lot of people, especially Christ-following people, who think the day is approaching and it's right around the corner. Just look at what's going on in our world right now and talk about the need for encouragement. It's probably at a, at a very high level right now. So that day is closer than ever and we need to be together so that we can encourage one another. But here's Elijah alone in the desert. He sits in the shade of a broom tree and he begins to tell how God, God, how bad it is. He kind of has a little pity party at this point. I mean, it's, it's bad, God. It's really bad. In fact, it's so bad, I want to die. Interesting, isn't it? Elijah flees from Jezebel because he doesn't want to die. And now sitting under a broom tree alone in the desert, he wants to die. Remember that little thing that... We might have sung as kids, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll eat some worms. Because everybody knows you'll die if you eat worms, right? We have this tendency to be worst case scenario people. God, it looks bad, I don't see how it could get any worse. Why bother, just get me out of this mess. And aren't you glad that God doesn't get disgusted and give up on us in times like that? He understands. He's patient. He's merciful. He loves us. Well, God knew what Elijah needed in that moment and sent an angel to minister to him. Elijah was physically exhausted. I mean, it says he sat down under a broom tree and he fell asleep. He was physically exhausted, and so what he needed at that point was rest, nourishment, and hydration. The guy had gone a a day into the desert after this incredible experience, running to Jezreel, I mean, at one, and then traveling to Beersheba first. And God knows what you and I need in life's turbulent moments as well. He can provide a listening ear, a word of encouragement or counsel, Someone to help us gain perspective on the situation. He may give us the space to take a break, slow down and get some rest. He may give us instruction, assurance and guidance from his word, strength, hope, peace. All those things God knows that we personally need in life's most turbulent and difficult times. So it says that, Elijah, and the, and the angel visited him twice and fed him twice. It says, strengthened by the food, Elijah now travels 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches Horeb. 
Really, uh, the, the commentators say that's probably another name for Mount Sinai, the, the mountain of God. Now, I don't know what kind of bread that was that he ate, but it had to be packed with vitamins, minerals, and energy to take the man 40 days into the wilderness. Actually, probably what was going on here is the same thing that happened when he ran, ran from Mount Carmel ahead of Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. It was the power of God upon him. Just as God cared for Moses on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and would one day care for Jesus in the desert 40 days and 40 nights, he cared for Elijah. And so he arrives at the mountain of God and he finds shelter in the cave and God confronts him there. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? In fact, he asks the same questions two two times, and God gets the same answer each time. When God is, is asking Elijah, what are you doing here? It isn't so much a question about trying to ascertain his location. Well, why did you come to Sinai? But to draw out of him what feelings, what actions, and What circumstances led him to this point? And Elijah's answer was this. God, I've done everything you've asked me. This is paraphrasing, of course. But still the Israelites reject your covenant. They've broken down your altars and killed your prophets. So that all I've done has made no difference. It was a waste of time. And my reward? Well, now they're trying to kill me. The implication is this, God, I did my part, but you didn't do your part. Nothing's changed. Have you ever felt that way? You've you've invested, you've given time, energy, and resources. I did what God asked me, but it didn't seem to make a difference. I, I seemed to have no effect. There was no change. You know, a mentor of mine years ago made this statement that stuck with me ever since. And he said this, with God there is neither success nor failure, there is only obedience. We do what God asks us to do. We leave the success or failure in his hands. Well, God shows up with some pretty over-reminders of who he is. Demonstrations of power. So first of all, the power of God was demonstrated to Elijah in wind, earthquake, and fire. The scripture reaffirms that. It says in, uh, th- that this is the power of God at work. It says in Psalms 135, verse 7, He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Well, he certainly did on that day. Psalm 148, verse 8, Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds do his, God's bidding. And in Isaiah 29, 6, it says, The Lord Almighty will come with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with windstorm and tempest and flames of devouring fire. That's exactly what Elijah was experiencing. And and so he saw this, he witnessed this, these dramatic displays of God's power, but then it says God wasn't in any of those. It said the God came... In the sound of a whisper. 
Why a whisper? Well, there's, there's something intimate about someone who loves you whispering your name. Most of the time, the first time you hear I love you from someone you're falling in love with is in a whisper. When you tuck a child in a night, you may whisper, I love you, before leaving the room. When you say goodbye to a loved one who's slipping into eternity, it's, it's a whisper. Our truly intimate moments in life are, are done softly. God's whisper is meant for us to stop, clear out the noise in our hearts and our souls, and bend our ears toward our Heavenly Father. He's got something important to say to us when He whispers to us. And and here's what God tells Elijah. I'm I'm not done with you yet. Uh, The the plan hasn't all been worked out. I I know you're kind of discouraged up to this point. But there's more to the plan. And Elijah, you're part of it. So so don't give up. I'm still at work here. I've got more for you to do. And so he tells him, I want you to anoint Hazael, king over Aram or Syria, Jehu, king over Israel, and Elisha as prophet. And the commentators say, well, the order they're, they're listed in there isn't exactly how it happened. But, but the point is, all of these, these three, these two kings and this prophet, would bring punishment and judgment on Israel. Israelites would die at the hand of Hazael through his warring against them. Jehu would completely destroy the house of Ahab, and Elisha would bring cutting prophecies and threatenings of God's judgment to the people of Israel. And, oh, Elijah, God says one last thing. You're not the only one who serves me. There are 7,000 others who have not worshipped Baal. God has always had a people, a remnant, and it, It's still true. There are godly, faithful people out there. You know, to hear it sometimes on the news and to look at what's happening in our country, we might might not think so, but God has always had a people, a remnant. There are those in our culture today, like in the day of Elijah, who have not bowed their knee to the vain philosophies, the false gods of our world And we're in this thing together, us and them. And God is working through us to accomplish his purposes in our world, even in the midst of a pandemic and nationwide unrest. So we've, maybe we've felt as God's people like we were sent to the desert for a while because of the pandemic, the stay-at-home orders. Maybe we felt alone. Maybe there's been fear like Elijah felt. But God's not through with us. He's got work for us to do. One of my prayers has been that, God, you would help us as your people and as a nation to learn the spiritual lessons we need to learn out of what we're experiencing right now in our nation and our world. And I'm praying then 
that out of this will be a, a season of great fruitfulness for Jesus and the kingdom. And God wants us to be a part of it. He's still at work. There's more to the plan. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this glimpse into the life of Elijah at this particular point where we see him in a little different light than we've seen him before. And always before, he was bold, he was courageous, he was doing these powerful things. He raised a widow's son from the dead. I mean, it was hard to believe that this guy was human, but yet in this instance, we see that he absolutely was. He was afraid. He was discouraged. He was feeling defeated. And so he went out in the desert by himself and separated himself from others who might have been there to encourage and help him through this. But Lord God, you took him to a place where you had his attention. And I think you helped him realize that his view of things was not accurate. They've broken down your altars. Nobody's worshiping you anymore. They've killed the prophets and now they're after me. And Lord God, you reminded him of who you are through those powerful displays in nature. The tempest, the winds, the earthquake, the fire. But then when you spoke to him, as you often do to us, it was in a whisper. You know, you, you rarely shout us down. Usually you come to us. When you have something important to say to us, it's, it's a whisper. It's what we hear in our mind and our hearts. It's, it's your voice speaking to us in a quiet way. And you reassured him. I know this has been a difficult time for you. But I'm not done yet, and I'm not done with you yet. And here's the plan. And Father, I pray that we'll take that to heart. We may have felt like we're in the desert. We may have felt alone. We may not have seen things through the, the way you see them, through the lens of Scripture, but Lord God, give us your perspective on the situations of our world right now. And remind us that the plan has not been fulfilled yet. There's more to be done. And we're to be a part of it. You're not done with us yet. Thank you, Lord God, for that truth and that promise. And may we eagerly anticipate what you want to do. I I pray that we will be involved as your people in a great season of harvest, whether we're seed planters or, or waterers or or cultivators, or Lord God, have the joy of being there when the harvest comes in. May we be ready to be used by you as the people of God, shoulder to shoulder, obedient, faithful, bold, and courageous. And Father, I ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us today. God bless you.